we have maximum above ground size limit for the homes. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes cities or HOAs will have minimum size limits. We have maximums. And the reasons are twofold. One, to maintain a human scale. Um, so we don't have enormous homes. And also because one of the easiest ways to make homes more sustainable or buildings in general is to limit their size. Welcome to Home Green Homes Podcast. I am Izumi Tanaka, a green home advisor and a green realtor. Here I invite a variety of experts in the world of green homes and have conversations about how we can all live in healthy, resilient, and efficient homes. My guests provide insight in a wide range of topics from designing, building, living in green homes, purchasing or financing green homes and improvements, to how we can live to reduce the negative environmental impact from the way we live. My goal is to inspire and inform you about how we can make a difference in our own lives and our environment. Welcome to Home Green Homes podcast. This is Izumi Tanaka. I am a green realtor and change agents with Latitude Regenerative Real Estate. Today, I have a guest, Kaylin Jones with, with Geyer Design. It's an architectural firm based in Utah. And we're gonna hear about his wonderful projects he and his firm have developed uh, in Utah, Moab, Utah. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna let you tell tell us all about it, Kaylin. So first of all, tell us who you are and your background, and and maybe uh, you can start on the brief history of Mulberry Grove. Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm a Moab, Utah-based architect, and um, I've lived here for 30 years and seen a lot of change in the community. Um, in 2005, um, I and some development partners became aware that um, this fabulous piece of property was becoming available. Historically, Moab has been an agricultural community, but like many places, we had watched orchards and fields converted to subdivisions, which often could have been anywhere. Um, and we wanted to preserve a little bit of our heritage as well as local food security, and also create a, um, a product that was a little bit more um, geared around supporting pedestrians and um, agriculture and open space and wildlife. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, so what year was that? Can you tell me a little bit about the... Um... Uh, the specific of Mulberry Park before we sure. start sharing the slideshows. Yes, it was in 2005. And um, so this is a piece of property that is, there's two creeks that run through Moab, even though it's desert, it's in a little riparian oasis. And um, we knew there were other developers that had their eyes on it. And when the owner um, passed away unexpectedly, mm. We um, pursued, uh, pursued the property somewhat aggressively with the, um, the estate mm -hmm. um, because it, it had both 
the riparian areas as well as historic orchards and um, former orchards that have become overgrown and fields. Um, so it was, and it was right next to a city park and on a city bike path. So there's a special place. Mm -hmm. And we thought it would be an, a good place to try out a different vision for what neighborhood development could look like here. Yeah, so um, I, I like to backtrack a little bit. I know that um, because I found you through your wife, beautiful wife, uh, Susie, who is one of my meditation teachers. So um, were you and Susie already in that mindset of this uh, creating a, a place that is more uh, in connection with nature and, and that kind of mindset before you found this property? What was your, uh, what was your uh, motivation behind uh, wanting to do this? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so early in my life in Moab, I and some friends mm -hmm. attempted to create a co-housing community, if you're mm -hmm. familiar with development type. Sure. Mm -hmm. And Susie actually moved to Moab to be a part of that, that project. Um, and that's how I met her. Okay. Um, that, that development ended up uh, not succeeding. Mm. Um, but we still had a desire to create a place that even if it wasn't strictly co-housing that embodied um, some of the benefits and uh, design principles of co-housing, such as um, the real pedestrian orientation mm -hmm. with peripheral parking, preserving mm -hmm. um, a, a lot of open space, um, in part by making um, the lot smaller to give yeah. um, each lot the benefit of access to open space while yeah. still working within the same density. Right. And hopefully, and also making it more friendly for kids um, by reducing the amount of car traffic within the development itself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so, we were definitely had that momentum coming out of the failure of the previous project. Right, <laughs> I understand. So I'm going to start sharing the screen today that you kindly shared with us. We yes. are looking at this plot. Yes, so this is an artistic rendering, which very much resembles the um, actual plat, which we'll see in the next screen. Mm -hmm. Along the north edge is Mill Creek, which is a riparian area. And that has the area alongside it is preserved as permanent open space. The area in the middle of the bottom edge um, has orchards on the left, which are mm -hmm. pear and peach, which grow mm -hmm. great here um, as well. And then the area to the right that shows more agriculture is, is currently um, an overgrown orchard. Um, it mm -hmm. hasn't developed as farmland yet, but it is also in permanent open space. Mm -hmm. The open space is held by Utah Open Lands, uh, Utah-based land trust, uh, which exists to conserve agricultural and wild areas. Now, um, how many acres and how many plots are there? It's 20 acres and there are 42 lots. Mm -hmm. And and uh, they are all built. They are uh, they actually forty six homes right now. There are twelve that have yet to be built. So oh wow! Seventy five percent built out at this point. Mm -hmm. And and I see that uh, these homes um, are kind of clustered into 
smaller groups of uh, homes and and what is the what is the idea behind it so the idea is that it, it has multiple benefits um, mm -hmm. um, so it means that every home can front on some open space which gives them a bigger view and bigger connection with nature than they would otherwise have. Mm -hmm. It just mm -hmm. divided the land equally into, into lots. Um, it reduces the amount of uh, area to maintain that each individual homeowner has to maintain. Mm -hmm. um, so those are, those are the primary benefits. An interesting thing that um, is that many owners of um, houses next to golf courses are not themselves golfers. They buy in because they want the access to the open space. Right, um, yeah. And so this sort of conservation subdivision design mm -hmm. where you utilize um, the, the private development to basically help fund the conservation of open space um, right. um, is a model which can help um, interweave these natural and agricultural areas into our built environment. Right. And it looks like um, homes are kind of facing each other to some degrees. That, so that kind of facilitates more interactions among the neighbors. Is that is that part of the intention? Well, the intention is <laughs> a nice byproduct. The intention was that um, the homes would all be, have some element of passive solar design. Mm. Um, so um, I don't know if you're how familiar you or your listeners are with passive solar. Sure. But, um, basically, you design the the homes are tend to be elongated on the east-west axis, and there's more windows on the south side so to let the sun in in the winter. The mm -hmm. overhang on the the roof overhang on the south side blocks the summer sun when it's high from entering the house, but in the winter, the sun is low and it can shine in. Mm -hmm. And then if you have a um, heavy things inside the house, like mass floors, which are made of concrete or stabilized earth, that can absorb mm -hmm. the heat of the sun mm -hmm. during the day and then re-radiate it at night. Mm. Well thought out. So let me see. Let's. Um, this is a more of a... Uh, technical drawing, so I'm going to move forward. Yeah. And this is this is what it looked like before. So tell me about this. What was this like when you first found the place? Yeah, so this is, it had one permanent building on it, which actually is semi-permanent. It had been moved in decades ago from mm -hmm. uh, many miles away, but it's an old log cabin. Mm -hmm. And then it had Another part of the property behind it had been used as a chuck wagon entertainment venue. Um, mm -hmm. That got moved off to an, another site. And uh, more recently, it had been, a, for a couple of years, a camp for at-risk kids. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. But while um, all the land had been farmed at one time, at this point, it was mm. largely a and, and the orchards were hanging on because the mm -hmm. groundwater is relatively high. Um, mm -hmm. And um, there was a mix of beneficial trees and weed trees that were growing up. Mm -hmm. When you bought the property, this whole big 20, 20 
20 acres. Um, you already had the idea of uh, creating this community and, and you sold those plots one by one to uh, individual homeowners, correct? Yes, we did. So it was an unconventional development. Um, it has um, very narrow streets. They're wide enough for fire trucks, but the paving mm -hmm. is about 10 feet wide. We really mm -hmm. wanted to be human scaled and focus on the needs of pedestrians and bikes more than cars. Mm -hmm. So um, for the most part, people don't park at their houses. Um, mm -hmm. Drive in for, obviously you need to be able to drive in for construction and for delivery and or if you're packing up for a vacation and mm -hmm. it's sort of uh there's no hard and fast rule about what was acceptable but right. people very much know and buy into the intent mm -hmm. um, but as a result of having this somewhat unconventional design there was negotiation with the city mm -hmm. about um, what we could do and what we couldn't do um, but um, it's developed as a planned unit development, um, which is, it's a common development type which affords more flexibility than many mm -hmm. cities um, sort of standard subdivision requirements. Mm -hmm. um, but um, as part of that, we had to create the Homeowners Association as part of the development approvals. And, wow. and we definitely wanted to have the ground rules in place, like both how, how it was governed Right. Um, as right. well as the more unique features. And and the yeah. city wants that because because there's features that are owned in common. Mm -hmm. um, in a conventional subdivision, like all the infrastructure is often handed over to the city for maintenance into the future. In this right. case, um, there's parking areas and carports and storage units and the internal streets, which the HOA is responsible for maintaining. Right. Um, and so we yeah, need a structure mm -hmm. for them to self-govern. Uh, it is pretty common with HOAs that there are architectural standards. Mm -hmm. um, but be because of the values with this sub with this development, um, they're a little different than typical. So right. Right. relative to their occupancy. Um, um, Another architectural element was just that on the most public side of each house, um, it has to be, the massing has to be broken up so it's not just a monolithic wall. Mm -hmm. Right. And we also developed our own, what we call a green building program, um, which is similar to um, uh, green building certification programs, which yeah. I imagine you're familiar with, like LEED. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, um, only because this is geared towards homeowners, um, mm -hmm. it, it's a little bit more prescriptive and written in layperson's terms. Right. Um, because so, we want to be able to appeal to both to, I mean, there's people there that they built their own home, it was their first home, and they didn't necessarily have the technical skills that professionals bring and we wanted to be accommodating for that. Right, right. So you specify, so uh, people who came to, to own a property here, they came and bought the, the lot and then they built their own homes based on the specifics that you provided, is that correct? That's correct. And mm -hmm. 
some people built their own home. Many people, mm -hmm. um, I ended up designing many of the homes mm -hmm. and contractors ended up building many of the homes. Mm -hmm. But because we um, didn't build out the subdivision and initially with a limited set of plans, there's a lot more diversity. Mm -hmm. um, it looks more like a mature neighborhood might in a city where homes have been, have evolved and been um, uh, remodeled or reconstructed over time right. rather than the more cookie cutter subdivision that you often get. Right. So can you tell me, uh, can, can you tell me what the green, uh, you said green building program? Yes. So can you tell, tell me a little bit about those, those, some of the specifics that, uh, you know, other than what you already mentioned? Yeah, so it requires above building code installation levels mm -hmm. and um, energy efficiency of equipment. Mm -hmm. And when we first adopted it, it was significantly above what the code um, back in the mid, uh, mid aughts was. Mm -hmm. Over time, fortunately, the standard building code has improved right. um, to the point at which um, at least the, like the 2020 one um, residential code um, is is equal to what we had adopted back then. Um, mm -hmm. The state of Utah hasn't actually adopted the um, most efficient building codes. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, but so so we let the international energy efficiency energy conservation code govern. Right. Um, and then we also emphasized um, uh, natural, meaning unprocessed and local materials, which um, like building with straw bale and earth finishes, which have the benefit of it tends to be a reduced carbon, both by the materials themselves and transportation. Mm -hmm. um, and we incorporated requiring dark sky friendly lighting, um, which in the intervening decade and a half, Moab City has adopted as well, but mm -hmm. we led on that. Um, and as well as um, requiring water conservative and or edible landscaping. Mm -hmm. so those are, and there's more details to it, but those are the high level features. I see. And, and you mentioned earlier that um, the homes are oriented according to the, the sun, right? So uh, are the homes all uh, required to be net zero or is there any uh, renewable energy requirement? There, so it's a point-based system um, mm -hmm. and there's a few things that are required, but then right. the homeowners have a menu of options to choose from. And Interesting. Um, having a, a minimum level of passive solarness is, mm -hmm. is required. Mm -hmm. um, and then they can get more points if they go above that. I see, I see. So, then, so mm -hmm. go ahead. And then um, active, active solar, whether it's hot water or photovoltaics is an option right. to get more points. And mm -hmm. many homeowners have opted for that, but it, mm -hmm. it wasn't a requirement. Mm -hmm. I see. And, you know, I think there's, there was a period where the economics of it were favorable when we might've required it, but now mm -hmm. because of our utility rate structure for um, uh, net metered solar, I don't know mm -hmm. that we would ask it of. Um, mm -hmm. So 
Mm -hmm. It's interesting to watch how these various factors evolve and interplay over time. Mm -hmm. Now, so you said that how many homes are built currently? 30. 30. And 30 out of 42, right? Yes. 42. So are those homeowners all like full-time residents and um, um, I just want to, I, I just want to ask you, what kind of people are they? Like, how did you attract these people to this community? Well, we marketed, we just hired, hired a realtor to market it. Marketing uh -huh. is a big job. So mm -hmm. we just wanted to get it out there via the usual channels. Mm -hmm. um, but then the, just the design of the community, as well as the CCNRs and the Green Building Program mm -hmm. um, self-selected for certain types of people. So mm -hmm. they, they tend to be more progressive mm -hmm. and they tend to be, I would say they tend to be a little younger. There's, there's quite a few families um, because of the reduction in cars in the community, it makes it mm -hmm. uh, much safer. So mm -hmm. they like chalk markings out on the street and in a way that Maybe we used to see when we were growing up, but it's yeah, so yeah. It, it sounds yeah. It sounds like it's very conducive to community building. Yeah, um, there are some second homeowners. Um, mm -hmm. So it's interesting when we we brought this project to market right at the beginning of the Great Recession, um, and we had to take a significant haircut for um for the first number of lots that we sold and we were just happy to be mm. um, keeping the cash flow going. Yeah. But then the we came out of the Great Recession and the housing market took off and our realtor told us like 75% of the inquiries she was getting were from second homeowners. And oh. we've seen the trajectory in and this isn't just Mulberry, but like in Moab as a whole and just seeing the trajectory in other communities that are gateways to national parks or mm. lands and how the extent to which their housing stock can get converted into second homes and what mm -hmm. that does to a community and it was not our vision at all so mm -hmm. we started only selling the, the remaining lots with the deed restriction requiring um, a significant uh, period of residency each year so that it mm -hmm. would, would be um, primary residences instead. I see. So what do you mean by significant period? Like more than six months out of a year? <laughs> I mean, exactly. we have a, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so more than six months. More than six months. Okay. Yes. And, and so do you actually live on this community, in the community yourself, you and Susie? I, no, we don't. Um, <laughs> Back in 2000, we built our own house in mm -hmm. Moab, but not in the community. And it's on a pretty special piece of land. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a small passive solar straw bale, net zero, and it's in a sweet spot. And even though I really like going over to the neighborhood and seeing how it's growing and all the interactions with people, um, not quite ready to give up I see. where we live now. Mm -hmm. So, so in this community, if um, somebody wants to buy a property, um, you have to, it, 
you have to, it has to be a primary residence and you have to be, uh, you have to occupy the, the home more than six months out of a year, but are they allowed to do short-term rentals or, or any kind of rentals? Mm -hmm. um, we, short-term rentals did not exist like as they do now at the time that mm. we developed the CCNRs. Sure. Because of how they were affecting the community, um, the city of Moab has adopted a prohibition on them outside of commercial zones. So they're not allowed in residential zones. Oh, and so, wow. So that, that governs in Mulberry as well. Mm -hmm. I see, I see. Yeah, because I see that short-term rentals are affecting many, many communities, including my own. Uh, we, are, we are also in the um, uh, POA, uh, Property Owners Association, and there's a number of properties that being that are bought up by short-term rental uh, investors. So it's interesting to see what your community is doing. Yeah, and um, um, can you tell me some some of the uh, challenges as a community today, if there's any? Uh, that you face uh, in maintaining this beautiful community that you created? Yeah, so, so one aspect is that <clears throat> it's, it's related to the, the short-term rentals and mm -hmm. the housing crisis generally. Um, mm -hmm. Many areas are facing housing affordability issues and mm -hmm. It's very acute in Moab being a resort community and having limited housing stock. So it's really a struggle for people who live here and employers. So well, when we developed this community, our focus was, was on open space preservation. Mm -hmm. uh, and some of the way we drafted the CCNRs um, didn't necessarily anticipate the pressures that we'd be that everyone would be under. Mm -hmm. So in retrospect, I wonder if we would have um, just had more, had more lots and had more houses and emphasize that more. Right. And we've had to modify the CCNRs to better accommodate accessory dwelling units mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because there are places where they can fit into the community and in, into Mulberry and there is really a, a community-wide need. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, another aspect is that we didn't at the time realize the wildfire risk because it's inside a city and mm -hmm. it's in a desert. Um, we didn't think of, about it as much as we should, but as you can mm -hmm. see in the bottom picture, um, mm -hmm. alongside the creek, that, as well as in other parts, there, there are trees. Right. Um, and so, um, over the years, there have been a number of fires, not in Mulberry, but along this riparian corridor. Mm -hmm. um, so in retrospect, I think we would have um, held, held some of the lots a little bit farther back from I see. those forested areas that we wanted to preserve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So are the current homeowners all original uh, owners who, who came to own these properties? No, there's been some turnover. Oh yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, people's lives change. Um, mm -hmm. Someone, one person ended up moving away mm -hmm. and sold their house and then moved back and has told me he was sorry he sold his house because now he's elsewhere. Um, 
Um, and another person, another family has actually, they've outgrown their first house. And so they've, um, they are moving to a different lot within Mulberry and building a, a larger house to accommodate their family's needs. I see. Um, other people invested with the intention of retiring here and then for different reasons, that's not the trajectory their life took them. And so they sold them to other people who were ready to build. So I see, yeah. I see. So, so there are some turning around. Um, uh, other other uh, newcomers who are who may be coming to see this this community. Um, what? How can they find out about this? So, so we're in a little bit of a transitional state. We used to have a website that uh -huh. the, the de development partners had during sort of the initial period of lot sales. Mm -hmm. And now the Homeowners Association is in the process of rebuilding that website. I um, see. More, less outward focused and more just about the needs of the residents. Um, I see. And that's not live yet. Um, mm -hmm. When lots go on the market, typically they're sold through realtors. I see. So, I see. So yeah. how how yeah. can? Mm -hmm. I was going to say, but in any event, the HOA can provide all the documents. Um, I see. So what's the? Uh, how can we like? If if I didn't know anything about you, I didn't. If I didn't know you, and if somebody uh, hear about this community, um, how can people find out? So who can I, who can we contact? Um, so if you're interested in design services, you can contact me, and I'll um, sure. Um, which is Kaylin at withgaia.com. Okay. Um, and then, and I'd probably be the best contact as well for just answering questions about the mm -hmm. community if people sure. want to know more about the history. Yes. Um, or, and then if people are actually thinking of purchase, purchasing, then the HOA um, president um, can fill them in on the current state of um, what's happening at Mulberry Grove. So you can make that connection. Yes. <laughs> Great. I, so this whole community, Mulberry Grove, it sounds very much like a very good candidate for living community. You know, you're familiar with them, right? Yeah, living yes, community or living building. Mm -hmm. yeah. Have you considered um, getting certified? That's an interesting question. Um, I, I have not, but perhaps we should look into it. <laughs> I'm only asking because I just completed the course to be uh, LFA, Living Future Accredited Professional. So I'm, this is perfect. This is like the kind of community that would get certified for living community. Yeah, <laughs> look into that. I know that there's a few um, straw bale affordable homes that have been certified under mm -hmm. uh, the Living Building Challenge. Or at mm -hmm. least they're in process. I think it's still the first, they're still in their first year. So they're establishing performance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this was so 
interesting and inspiring. And I'm so grateful that people like you are developing something like this. Are you, are you in the process of developing anything like this anywhere else currently? Not, not as holistically. Two years ago, I partnered with a local um, affordable housing developer that does um, affordable straw bale, um, mm. a small subdivision with them. But mm -hmm. um, it didn't have uh, nearly the breadth of sort of innovative design features as um, this one did. I see. But I, I would imagine that this is kind of your passion. Yes, very much so. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope that you would create something like this more, you know, that doesn't necessarily have to be Utah, right? You can, you can do this at other places. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, great. Thank you so much for your time, Kaylin. I, I, I would love to share this uh, slideshow on the uh, podcast note, uh, show notes so that people can look at the pictures and learn more about it and make yeah. sure to, to get your contact information there. Absolutely, I'm happy to share it. And it's great talking to you, Azumi. Thank you so much, Kaylin. And this was Home Green Homes with Kaylin Jones of Mulberry Grove in Moab, Utah. Thank you so much.